Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. So I had a great weekend, Trina, yourself. Yeah. So college basketball officially started yesterday. I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. And yeah. I guess last night you had the watch party. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, due to COVID, we're not allowed to go on campus anywhere. But yeah, it was a great game. It was fun to see basketball back in action. Well, I'm excited about this show because uh, we got a good friend and a guest on. JT, are you hooked up over there? I am. I think they got me hooked up and going. All right. Well, we got Mr. J.T. Holt. We're going to talk about land lending. We're going to talk about loans, farm and ranch, recreational loans. This guy's been at it for a long time, but I also happen to know he's a basketball fan. Oh, really? J.T. likes the sports. He likes basketball. So uh, Trina's got a son that's playing ball. Yeah. And- don't ask me a lot of questions about basketball, though, <laughs> because <laughs> I only know what my kid does. <laughs> how much I follow. He buys expensive <laughs> shoes and puts the ball exactly, in the hole. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> is he playing college basketball or just Yeah, basketball? he's going to an NAIA school and um, he's a freshman playing uh, varsity reserve. They yeah. had their first varsity game last night and he got several minutes in for varsity reserve. So we're pretty excited about that. He put four points on the board on his first game out and pretty happy. Good. Pretty happy Good. mama Good. right here. You bet. We've got a couple of nephews that are playing college basketball in Oklahoma as well, and it's pretty exciting, pretty fun to watch them and see them get after it and and uh, put in the time and the effort to get to that level, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and money. Time, effort, <laughs> and money. Lots and lots of money. Is there money involved in that when kids Just play college ball? Just a little. <laughs> to get them to that point, you either pay for travel ball their whole life or you pay for their college education, your choice. So it all works out the same. Or in my case, a little of both. <laughs> travel ball and education yes. all right i've got some neighbors and and their kids are you know in here in kansas city because we're i'm from rural america where we weren't as exposed to this but in these urban markets especially if you have um like nfl or nba if you have sports teams here they start them at such a young age uh-huh. you know every, every kid out there is going to be the next Derek jeter the next uh I'm trying to think of something, Roger Staubach, you know, they're, they're going to be the professional player. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got a couple of neighbors that uh, their kids are little, little and they're and they're just spending a fortune. Yes. And 100%. They'll, they'll come dragging in at 10 o'clock at night from, from games and practice. They're up at six the next morning and they're doing something before school and it's Sean, nonstop. We still don't eat dinner at my house until nine o'clock at night, just because it seems weird to eat any earlier than that. We got so used to eating after practice, after games, after everything that nine o'clock's dinner time. We start looking around at each other at around 845, like, uh, yeah, we should probably eat. <laughs> it's probably dinner time somewhere. <laughs> That during during crazy. COVID, when all of the uh, restaurants and things started like opening up with limited hours, we missed dinner so much because of that. Just there's nothing to go do. There's nowhere to eat. That's crazy. After eight o'clock at night. So, JT, yeah. what about you, your kids? How, how old are your kids now? Uh, I've got a senior in high school and I've got a fourth grader. I've got a daughter that's a senior and a son that's a fourth grader. And, uh, you know, we've played a lot of travel softball with the daughter. And then the son's just getting going really as far as, uh, 
not so much travel ball, just more localized and uh, doing it more competitive local on a local level more than trying to travel. So, man, it's a commitment anymore. It is. Yeah. So you moved. We were living at one time close to each other. I was there in Carmen, Oklahoma, and you were over in, uh, did you live in Winoka? The big town of Winoka. Winoka, yeah, just out there west of us. But you you are now a Texan. You've moved to Texas. Ah, we so. did. We relocated to Lubbock uh, in 2016. With the We merged land loan specialists with another company. And uh, with that transition, we made the move to Lubbock and uh, the opportunity to grow the business and continue to do what we do. So We genuinely appreciate you being on the podcast with us. For our listeners, this guy has got more insight than anybody I could think of in the farm, ranch, and recreational lending business. He's been at it for a number of years. He's been with, you were working with, I think, Farm Credit. I was. When I first met you, they uh, created their own company out there, Land Loan Specialist. He works uh, with the financial arm for a large ranch company, Hall & Hall. And JT has just uh, done a tremendous job. So first and foremost, thanks for being on the show at the tail end of this show, we'll tell all of the listeners out there how they can reach out to you and how they can find you. But for the next 30, 40 minutes, let's shoot a few questions at you and talk some about land lending, farm and ranch, recreational property lending, uh, some of the practices, and, and more importantly, kind of what the current temperature of that market is. So let me ask that one right out of the gate. What are you seeing right now in that current market as far as conditions for farm and ranch sales as they relate to lending? Are loans, and and here's where I'm going with that, are loans up? Are they down? Do you see a lot of cash coming into the market versus, you know, putting a substantial amount down? Are they really tight loans? But kind of tell us what you've seen over the last couple of years with this upsurge in land sales. So what we see, I guess, as far as from a financing standpoint is, that a lot of the larger transactions, those individuals are paying cash. I mean, that's probably our biggest competitor on some of the larger credit facilities or on the larger transactions. On the smaller transactions and the smaller credits, when I say smaller, I mean, you know, under a million dollars, those credit facilities, you know, most people are taking some kind of leverage on those. And with the demand and with the turnover in, in farm and ranch and recreational real estate, we're seeing large, significant demand for loans. We've had record numbers as far as new loan volume and number of transactions, both in 2019 as well as 2020. We've seen uh, great opportunities there. Uh, I tell you also from a standpoint of the availability of capital, people are hungry for loans. I mean, your, your lenders are actively and pursuing strong credits and pursuing, you know, strong borrowers for financing. I mean, the demand is there as well as the capital is there. So I think it's a great time for frag finance. Now, JT, you mentioned smaller loans versus larger loans. What's the differentiation between those? You know, from our perspective, it just really depends on geographic area and and the size of the transaction. I mean, you know, we see land values drive the size of the transaction, you know, a, a larger transaction in our wheelhouse, I guess, is we would consider anything north of $5 million. Our average size transaction is probably less than 500000 through land loan specialists. I mean, you know, so we do a lot of smaller transactions as well as those larger credit facilities. But, you know, as far as differentiating between the two, you know, it, it's almost the same amount of work and the same effort for a larger transaction as it is a smaller one. And uh, we we put in the same time and efforts there. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. 
on the larger deals you're seeing primarily cash, is there an availability of the down money for the percentage of loans or the bulk of loans that you're making right now? You see most of those clients qualifying out there and having a substantial amount. And what's a reasonable amount to put down in a land loan? A 20%, 30%, but what what's your target? You know, a lot of that does depend on the size of the transaction and the type of financing and leverage that the, the borrower wants to put on a deal. So, you know, a smaller transaction, recreational property guy has a great job in town, not a sizable transaction. You know, we'll do some deals at 20% down. You know, I'd say typical target when somebody calls in just a cold call, uh, calling in looking for credit facilities, we're usually telling them 25 is kind of the target area as far as a percent down. You know, you get into the larger credit facilities where we're going to use, you know, maybe some insurance company money or financing or capital behind the scenes to fund some of those transactions. And I'm talking $5 million and up, you know, they're probably looking at a minimum of 35% down on some of those credit facilities. Um, you know, it just gets a little more complex. A little, you know, it seems like with the larger size credits are definitely going to require a little more equity going into it. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's competitive and, and everybody's aggressive there and, and allowing those folks to leverage that stuff up however they'd like to, just because land values have been strong. I mean, we haven't seen them back off and for the most part in, in our area, for sure. What's the concern element with that? Now that you mentioned that land values have been strong, obviously the inherent risk in making loans because land is, you know, right now could, depending on the future, could be overappreciated yeah. right now. So are you being more conservative? Are you looking at the appraisal and, and tethering that a little bit with a very robust land market? Uh, thinking, you know, if this uh, this land turns the different direction, uh, a different direction over the next two years and somebody doesn't perform in the loan, we may be 20 percent upside down in this. You know, I would say that we try to. Yes. I mean, we look at the appraisal and that's an important factor. I mean, the other credit factors are just as important. You know, are those people financially do they have the financial wherewithal to to uh, sustain that risk? If land values back off, you know, do they have the capital otherwise? Uh, do they have the other sources of income to service that debt or that obligation? So if land values do back off 20%, are we still okay? You know, are they are they still able to make those payments and service those debt obligations? So we continue to see that, you know, the people that can afford it have um, always been able to, I guess, and the, and the people that we deny or turn down are those people that 99% of the time they expected to get turned down. And I know that sounds unusual or, or not typical, but uh, those people that we turn down are somewhat expecting it, it seems. So, I mean, they, they know the risk associated with their credit. Do you have like a percentage just if, if you look at 100 deals, you know, 3% of those, 30% of those, I mean, what gets turned down? What doesn't make the wash out of just, uh, and it doesn't have to be the exact, but what's what's a rough percentage of loans that you look at that won't process? I'm guessing as far as, you know, they've got a deal, you know, they've got a purchase or real estate contract, uh, they've got something that in mind, or they've got a property they're wanting to refinance. You know, that's less than less than five percent. I mean, okay. that would probably be on the high side. Um, like I said, th- those people that are you know that aren't credit quality or, or aren't credit worthy, I should say, those folks they understand that and, and they know that going into it ninety percent of the time. So a lot of times we can talk them out of. I mean, we allow anybody to apply at any time. Don't get me wrong, but we can talk through the scenario up front and, and not waste their time or and, yeah. uh, efforts. Do you have like a fallback option that you offer those people or just, you know, wait and save and come back later when you're more financially secure? 
you know, we try to give them some alternatives, but no, I mean, we don't, uh, we're kind of a, a quality credit lender, you know, is, is our wheelhouse, not saying there's other people out there that won't do those deals. There's some opportunities out there. And we try to point those people in that direction. You know, hey, here's an option. The rate may be a little higher, um, you know, but it might be an option for you if you don't qualify for with us. But, uh, you know, I always say it's uh, we're not trying to be cocky or egotistical. We just we just want the cream of the crop. And, um, you know, if it's something that we shouldn't be doing, we're not going to charge a higher rate just to, to overcompensate or compensate for that. So. Well, I think that's smart if we uh, if we scroll back, you know, to 2005, <laughs> six, seven, leading into the housing crisis, that was a big part of it was um, a lot of people tagged predatory lending to it. And, and uh, you know, they, they said, oh, they're making loans they shouldn't be making. Well, there probably was some of that going on yeah. uh, in the industry. But I, I was, you know, I'll tell you something about about me personally. I was raised in a household that you have to take personal responsibility for your actions, right? You have to have personal accountability. There's somebody sitting across that table, regardless whether a bank's going to loan you the money or not. There's somebody on the other side of that table that has the option not to sign that mm-hmm. that agreement. Yeah. If you can't make the payments on something, don't go borrow the money. Ah, oh, I found a found a bank that's going to work with me. They're going to loan me, you know, a million bucks. I was like, you don't have a job. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm saying, don't sign that note. That's yeah. not smart on your part, and and it's there's going to be repercussions for that, right? I've had people call me with that. You know, my lender loaned me this amount of money. He knew I couldn't pay it back. <laughs> but you signed the note. I mean, yeah. you're, you're the one you took the you money. You pay it. Yeah, the money, and. Uh, so it's, it's somewhat comical in that regard. And, uh, you know, me and an associate once met with a client and, and it's uh, talk about probably getting off track here, but ah, we love it. We, <laughs> we, you know, we met with a client one time and, and it's kind of a running joke with us now is, you know, Hey, I, I've got 10 cows. What if I sell three of those and, and buy six more and, and own two chickens and run two goats? I mean, do you think I can pay back $3 million? <laughs> it's like, no. Selling off livestock. Those yeah. better be some really, really nice goats. You're <laughs> exactly right. And uh, it, it was just comical, you know, and, and, and people, there are people out there in this world that are so far removed from agriculture today that, that believe that, are you know, they can borrow a hundred percent of the ranch and borrow a hundred percent of the cattle and, and it work. And I would tell you today, you can't borrow half of it and it work. You know, it just, it just doesn't, there's just not enough profit margin there to make it work. So there's not, and you've got to use common sense when you're entering, taking out a loan is a business decision. You got to make a smart business decision. You got to make smart decision on your side of the table. Mm-hmm. You also need to have personal accountability. You know, it reminds me of the old analogy of the guy that goes by and checks the door on the hardware store every day at lunch, you know, the guy that owns a hardware store goes to lunch and one day he forgot to lock it. So the guy goes in and robs the store and said, oh, I got him, you know, he, uh, and he got caught, you know, there's repercussions. And he goes, well, it's his fault. He left his door unlocked. No, <laughs> it's, it's, you it's tried not. to open it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. You made a poor lifestyle decision to go in and, and to do something you shouldn't have done. And it's not all that guy's fault for leaving his door unlocked. You can't sit there and take ownership of something. And if it goes south on you, just want to point fingers because somebody was willing to take that ride with you. Yeah. And that's that's what a bank does. They're putting some trust in you that you'll do the right thing. Not everybody's going to do the right thing. Right. You know, and, and that's one of the benefits of dealing in rural America, to be honest with you, is just the fact that 
we get the opportunity to deal with people of high character, high morals, high standards. And, and, and I'm not saying that other parts of the country aren't, but it's just, it seems like the work ethic and the character of the people that we deal with is just exceptional. You know, we've been fortunate not to run into those people, but we've been in good times too. I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years and, you know, during that period, I can count on a hand that uh, people just weren't ethical, you know, or didn't have the morals, but, uh, and the standards, but for the most part, you know, we deal with uh, people with great moral and morals and great character and they tend to do what's right even when things do get tough so we've been blessed in that regard for sure so that is a great byproduct to being in and around rural america is you will find a you will tend to frequent those kind of conversations and those kind of uh, consumers that you're doing business with and with that in mind speaking of consumers let's slip away let's hear from our sponsors and we'll be back in just a few minutes Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Find great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. Thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom it's funny every time we go on break you guys tend to gang up and browbeat me i just don't understand where the frustrations are coming from the frustrations. Did you I say that like word right? Cry. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did. One of the hardest words in this podcast today. Frustrations. And the, the, not frustration. <laughs> frustrations. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, you have to feel for your listeners with two guys from Oklahoma originally. It's uh, definitely got to be a challenge for them to understand what we're talking about. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that far removed, guys. So I don't have a lot of room to talk, honestly. <laughs> We're all we're lucky we don't all have southern draws. Is all I'm saying. Well, at least you're not wearing orange today. I'm not wearing orange today. All right. <laughs> I'm not wearing orange either. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about <laughs> about yes. accents on the break. Yeah. Accents and accidents. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go back into uh, we talked about rural America and that clientele. 
So let's talk specifically about processing loans when they come in. And I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit so I can dovetail back. Tell me kind of the geographical area that you're working for lending right now. You know, we work from Texas to Montana, Colorado to Missouri, kind of right through the center and heart of the United States, you know, up through the plains, jump over Ketch, Iowa, Missouri, you know, but all the way through the Rockies um, and up in Ketch, Idaho. We've got offices from Laredo, Texas to Sun Valley, Idaho and everywhere in between. Oh, wow. Um, so you guys are like a franchise operation. You have multiple offices. We're not a franchise operation. You know, we're a subsidiary of Hall & Hall uh, is, you know, when we made that merger in 2016. And uh, we continue to operate land loan specialists uh, to generate these land loans and to, to market these to the consumer. But, you know, that's allowed us to grow our footprint up through the Rockies. Uh, it, it's allowed us to, you know, have some offices in some other areas that we wouldn't have otherwise. But, you know, we're, uh, we're employee-owned. I guess we're not a franchise, but we are employee-owned mm-hmm. and uh, continue to operate under that model. So we, we've definitely had some growth, you know, but it's, we focus on that geographic area where we think we understand land values and, and uh, the market a little better than the coast, for sure. So are your lending practices different in different parts of that geography? If your ranches, Montana, you know, northern ranches, here would be a good case study or analogy. Uh, ranches in Montana versus ranches in Texas. Same lending process. Are they different? Um, how do you approach those? You know, what I would use as the case study more is more the area or the row crop ground in Iowa as compared to Oklahoma or Texas. You know, where we've seen land values just skyrocket, you know, not necessarily in the last few years, but previously, you know, where we saw land values just really climb off the charts. We've tried to be a little more conservative there as far as on a loan to value standpoint or on an amortization standpoint, uh, where, you know, we may not get to an 80% loan in Iowa where we will in Texas. So, you know, we get a little more aggressive in, in the areas that haven't seen the appreciation that some markets have. I would say that's probably the biggest driver all the other credit factors pretty much remain the same. Land loans considered a greater risk than residential property. When you're lending on uh, farms, that row crop land, recreational land, hunting, recreational Mm -hmm. ranches, how is that in in contrast to residential or commercial lending? Does land inherit more risk for the lender than, uh, than those other two segments? You know, I'd tell you, it's kind of a funny topic with me because majority of lenders will tell you that it is, you know, that it does have more risk associated with it. That's why rates are indi- indi- indicative. There's one of those words that Oklahoma can't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, that's why the rate difference, uh, there's not a secondary market for farm and ranch and recreational real estate loans. You know, we make these loans, we keep them, we try to maintain them for the, for the life of the loan. We don't want to sell them off like they do your home loan. But, uh, you know, most lenders will tell you that there's more more risk involved with, uh, you know, raw land and, and ranch or farm and, and recreational real estate land loans. But I don't personally believe so. I mean, I'm more comfortable with that than I am a house or a home in town. To me, it's, you know, that land's always going to be there. And, and yes, you know, they may do some harm to it, but not like they could a house or a home. So how long does it typically take to process a loan? If from start to finish, I come to you today and I say, hey, I found a farm or a ranch out here I'm interested in. Uh, I've got the down money, but to process that loan and go through all those steps, what's the timeline look like? Well, my understanding is you have a place up in Gentry County, Missouri. Maybe we need to talk about <laughs> refinancing. Uh, I paid project. cash for it. Oh, well, there you go. 
Well, now's the time to cash out leverage. refi, right? No. Get these rates. I mean, how can a guy not have leverage? That's a joke. Where you you have a you have a podcast show, so you can talk about your wealth. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, that's going to be a short show if that's the case. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> no, that um, one. So we were fortunate because it's a small place. It's not a very large farm up there, and we did have a enough down that the note was. Um, it was more of a personal note than it was a land note because we didn't have to borrow a lot of money. But let's talk about a half million dollar, four or five hundred thousand dollar property, and they're putting fifty thousand down, a hundred thousand down. But you know, that's a sizable loan. What's the turnaround time on something like that in this economy? You bet. I mean, t- today I'd tell you start to finish, our target's 30 days. You know, that's what we're pushing for. Okay. Biggest hurdle for us right now is getting appraisals in a mm-hmm. timely fashion, a quality appraisal in a timely fashion. It's getting harder and harder to find good appraisers across rural America for sure. So, but uh, uh, for land appraisals than there would be on like a typical mortgage appraisal. I mean, do you have to have a specific type of appraisal company come out and do that? We're looking for appraisers with certain credentials. You know, uh, we we try to stick with ARA appraisers, American Accredited Rural Appraisers is what mm-hmm. those are. Uh, we try to stick with those best we can in the areas that we can do that. We just feel like we get a better quality report from the majority of those individuals as we do others. Um, so we're looking for certain licensing requirements and, and a certain type of report from those appraisers. So Gotcha. Now, you also mentioned uh, like a 30-day turnaround. Is that from, do you guys do like a pre-approval process? Uh, Where would somebody start typically uh, with you guys? Would they need a pre-approval before they even start looking at land? Or could they just come to you with what they already have? We can do that either way. Uh, We'll do some pre-approvals for for folks. Uh, As I mentioned, most people that we finance, I mean, they know whether they're qualified or not, or they wouldn't be buying, you know, a a recreational track or another ranch. But we do some pre-approvals for folks. They feel like it allows them a greater opportunity to negotiate the price. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely do some of that. And then in addition to that, you know, we primarily need just general financial information being a financial statement, three years tax returns is a place to start, allow us to start crunching numbers and get them approved. And that turnaround's really quick. And then we order appraisals and then it's kind of sit and wait until we get towards closing. The Sale Ring, online at www.thesalering.com. What's the minimum requirements for you, JT? You have a company, let's say land loan specialist. There has to be some threshold out there to kind of turn that machine on and to go to work. What is the minimum and, and maximum requirements that are attractive or appealing to you? You know, our minimums, we definitely want to stay greater than 30 acres. When you get less than 30 acres, you can get into some of the home loan disclosures, even if there's not a home on the property. And we try to stay as, away from those because we're not home loan lenders by any stretch. So we try to stay away from those type properties. Um, so we want to focus on something that is truly has some kind of ag component, you know, uh, not necessarily that they're going to use it for agriculture, but that they could. So farm, ranch, recreational properties, greater than 30 acres. We definitely want a minimum loan size of probably a hundred thousand or greater. Uh, we've looked at adjusting that maybe closer to two to two fifty, but right now we're still at a hundred thousand dollar minimum. And, and the reason being is just the cost associated with the land loan. It needs to make sense for the borrower as well. Sure. Sure. You made a statement there about home lenders and 30 acres are up with some ag component or can be at least linked to an ag component. For your 
company, is there requirements out there that would restrict you from doing residential lending? Are you kind of locked into strictly ag lending because of maybe licensing or insuring or bonding? I don't know how that works in the mortgage industry, but... You know, definitely. I mean, it's something that we're just not comfortable with. I mean, you know, all the home loans today require so much red tape and so much documentation and disclosures that we're just not set up to do. So therefore, we just try to stick, you know, stick to what we know and stay away from those type of credit facilities that, you know, might be construed as something that's considered as a home loan in those other areas. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, go with what you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. You spent all this time in the ag industry and in the farm industry and, and recreational properties. You know the business, you know the lending process and practices, and uh, obviously you've got the the capital that's geared towards it. So I think that's a problem sometimes when service industries get outside of their wheelhouse. They try to get too big or too diverse, mm-hmm. and uh, you you can't really be the master of everything and, and not really serve one specific market. So, You bet. I mean, you can't be everything to everyone. You know, we, we've kind of found our niche, and uh, it's, it's definitely been, you know, good for us and a benefit to us, uh, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years and that's all I've done. That's all I know. And uh, that's 100 percent of what we focus on. And and there's very few lenders out there that are interested in these type of credit facilities. We feel like we've got a leg up on the majority of them there. And, you know, we get referrals from real estate brokers, uh, accountants, trust attorneys. You know, our current customers are probably our greatest referral source. But, uh, you know, it's it's definitely been a blessing to have those people refer clients to us and new business to us. So. Great insight and information from Mr. J.T. Holt, Land Loan Specialist. We're going to slip away. We're going to hear from our sponsors again, and we'll be back in just a few more minutes. Maybe we'll get J.T. to tell us who's going to win this presidential election coming up. Stay tuned. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Find great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. 
Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. All right. I tried hard during the break to get JT to tell me the insight about the presidential election, but he's refusing. So I don't blame him. <laughs> he said, I'm not talking about politics, man. It's not the purpose of the show. It's not the purpose of the show. Stick to what we know. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's exactly how we went to commercial is like, stay in your wheelhouse, brother. Stay in your lane. <laughs> and your lane is not politics. Thank goodness. Yeah, that is no lie. I do have something. Uh, we're going to play a little game here. It's called oh. Guess the Statistic. You oh, got to guess wait. the statistic. So uh, believe it or not, you can look up just weird random statistics. <laughs> Somehow and, I don't find that hard to believe with the state of the Internet today. <laughs> listen, when you're 54 years old and your kids are up and out, this is the kind of stuff that you that just keeps you up at set night. around to do. It's like, hmm. I wonder, what'd you say earlier? How many people brush their teeth every day? Yeah. But uh, there is a place where they pull statistics like this. So I've got a series of about seven questions, and we're going to we're gonna have a, a battle of the minds here, at least a, a battle of the guesses okay. between the infamous J.T. Holt and Miss Trina Turner. I can't wait. Yeah. So here we go. Question number one. The average drunk driver drives under the influence more than blank times before being arrested the first time. How many times did they get in their car statistically and drive before the first time they got caught? How many times did they drive drunk? It's going to be like 22. Trina says 22. Let me write that down. What do you got, JC? Are we going over under on Trina's guess or do I have- <laughs> You can do this however you, know, you want. This is just made up in Sean's you mind know what? as we, can, we go. So. We can do it any way you guys want. Yeah. I'll go with 12. A 12. Right. 12 is a good guess. 12. You guys are going to be surprised by this. Because it's going to um, be like 50 something. The average drunk driver drives under the influence more than 80 times <gasps> before being arrested the first time. That's craziness. That is craziness. That is scary. All right. Here's, uh, I, I, I got to keep tally up here. So here's Trina and I mean, if we're JT. going over under, I got that one. So Trina, got, <laughs> Trina, you were the closest. You, you got, I got within 60. Wow. All right. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to okay. you. Next question. Less than what percent of NCAA student athletes, I did this because your son's in college ball now. Less than what percent of NCAA student athletes actually go on to the professional level? Two. JT, what do you say? 1.9. Oh, <laughs> look at you. I'm pretty sure I actually had to watch the video and do all that she, to know that the answer is two. <laughs> she actually, I'm going to put 1.9 down. It actually is two. So uh-huh. Trina wins again. The, the number was two on that one. I can tell you, she has not seen these show notes. She has not. I have not seen the show notes, but I have seen the video that that statistic came from. (laughs) It's not fair. Next year, JT will know this as his child enters college, but she just went through this. So apparently Mm -hmm. they made her watch some video. I wasn't supposed to be the one watching the video. (laughs) Here's the next question. Question three. What percent of adult Americans still sleep with a comfort object 
like a stuffed animal, a blanket, a sentimental object, what percent of adult Americans still sleep with? Now, keep in mind, above 21 years old and up, adults. So, I mean, are we talking about, because, like, I can't sleep without a blanket. It doesn't I don't have sleep, to be a blanket. I don't sleep with anything, blanket. so it wouldn't count. I, I would not be in that statistic. Like, it's I saying need anything. some kind of sheet or blanket. It doesn't have to be the same. Like, my, my youngest has a blanket that he carries everywhere with him. So That's because your youngest is specific. four. Yeah, he's six, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. Going on six, going on four. Yes. A blanket would count. What percent of adult Americans still sleep with a comfort object? Do you care to start this one, JT? I, you know, uh, I think this is probably what's wrong with our politics. I'm going to go with, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with eight. Eight. Eight percent. Eight percent. I'm going to go higher. 15? Trina says 15. Trina is on a roll. Dang. That number is 34%, 34% of adult Americans still sleep with a comfort object, stuffed animal, blanket, sentimental object, or other. That's that crazy. Is, that is that's weird. Wrong. Something's wrong with America. Here's number four. The average American generates how many pounds of trash every day? Oh, how many pounds of trash does the average American generate per day? The average one person in America. That's right. How many pounds every day? Eight. Size of a human head. <laughs> Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Thank you very much. Just ten. One. What'd you say? I'll say ten. Ten. Ten pounds of trash per day. That's a trashy individual right there. I'm from Oklahoma. The, the, <laughs> I'm not sure Oklahoma got figured into this. The, the average American generates 4.5 Four, pounds okay. of trash every day. Trina, you are, it is four to nothing. JT, what's going on? We have you on our show <laughs> and you great. lay down on all the questions. But listen, I was within 60 on the first question, so this isn't really. That's true. All right. This one, this one's going to be a little bit. uh, Here's a weird one. In light of the COVID pandemic, the global rate for washing your hands after using. Now, this is global. Global rate for washing your hands after using the bathroom is under what percent? I mean, since COVID or now, right now, it's right. This this statistic's been out for a while on the Internet. So I'm going to guess it's probably 15 again. She says 15 percent. Yep. The global really rate for gross, washing your hands after using the bathrooms under what percent, JT? Surely it's higher than that, isn't it's it? It's not. It's really a gross statistic. Oh. Like when COVID first came out, they were making a big deal out of hand washing because nobody did it. It's disgusting. Mm, I think she's leading me to go lower, but I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go with 23%. Oh, that's a good Ooh, number. 23. Then that would mean you are, she's 490. It's got to count. You guys, it's a tie. It's it's 19%, which I believe is four and four. So, all right. You both get, uh, Trina gets one and JT gets one. Only 19% of people wash their hands. 19%, the global rate for washing their hands after going to the bathrooms under 19%. I just, I can't believe that. I'm like such a hand washer and like. That is gross. Yeah. That is disgusting. Number six, just over blank million U.S. adults over the age of 21 cannot read above a third grade level. Oh. And I will tell you this. It's in the millions. It's blank millions. So 
just over how many million U.S. adults cannot read above a third grade level? It's not a percentage. It's an actual number. It's a number. Yeah. So I'll go with, uh, let's see, 5% of the population would be what, six, 60 million probably? No, that's, know. yeah, 300 would be 30. No. Hmm. Now you have a fit, a fourth grader, is that right? I do. All right. So third grade is like the learn to read or fail thing. Like this should be fresh mm-hmm. on your mind because they like preached it until third grade. And then like, once you hit third grade, if you can't read, you're pretty much never going to. Yep. You're carrying the person's books that can read. Yes. But that's not my department. I know. <laughs> Your wife took them to back to school night every year. That, that is spoken like a true American. <laughs> We've got our departments and I got to stay in my lane. Stay in your lane. It's not reading and book book learning and such. And see, my kids are either too old or too young for this statistic right now. So uh, this one, this one, I will tell you, it's in double digits. Just over blank million U.S. adults cannot read above a third grade level. How many million? 15 million. All right. JT says 15. Trina? I'm going to say like 47. Oh, I mean, we're talking millions out of the help. billions like, of people. It's a big percentage, though. She swamped you again, amigo. Know, it's 36 right? million yeah. people. 36. So that... Uh, over 10% of Americans. Yes, sir. Are illiterate, yeah. Just wow. over 36 million U.S. adults cannot read above a third grade level in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I pick you on... Listen, that if you're listening to this podcast and you're from Oklahoma... Please understand, I'm from Oklahoma. I love that state. JT's from Oklahoma. We were smart enough to boot that cat out of the state. I'm just joking. All right, here we go. Last question. Last question. This is not going to help you win the game, but it is at least (laughs) a little redemption right here. It is now six to one, JT. The average American eats blank pounds of ice cream every year. How many pounds of ice cream can the average American eat each year? Per person. Go ahead, Trina. <laughs> How many pounds of ice cream? How many pounds of ice cream does the average American right, eat? So I'm going to be year? the wackadoo that doesn't like ice cream on this on this podcast. But so I mean, my number would be really low. But I know I'm like the outlier. So it's got to be something like nine, ten, somewhere nine, right nine, nine, ten. <laughs> Yep. 9, 10, 15, You know, if 20. you keep going at that rate, you will actually get the answer correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just keep counting the whole alphabet. The, counting the whole alphabet. <laughs> Oklahoma. No, I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> JT, what do you say? The average American eats how many pounds of ice cream each year? I'll take the rest of the numbers between 1 and 100. Smart. <laughs> I will tell you it's higher. Higher than 100? It's, it's, it's six, higher it's than six to one. No, no, no. It's higher than nine. Oh, you said nine. Okay. It's higher. We'll go with 11. JT, you pulled it out. It's 13. <laughs> it's oh, actually nice. 13. And you are, you came in second place. Congratulations. <laughs> Send me my prize. <laughs> Your prize is um, you Getting get to, to tell everybody <laughs> on this podcast show how they can reach out to you here in a minute. You know, so it is fun. I mean, it's it's fun to have those statistics, you know, and have you know, any kind of a game show or a little trivia or something on the podcast. But the reality is 
it's amazing the statistical data that they pull from the U.S. Mm-hmm. consumer, the average consumer. And there's so I much know, of information like, out there. Have you guys ever taken a part in one of these polls? Like, where do these polls come from and who actually takes part in them? I did one time. It's been several years ago. I had an envelope in the mail and there was a ton of questions from a U.S. consumer report or something yeah. like that. And I sit down and actually tried to fill them out. I, I thought, well, this is interesting. It literally was 10 or 12 pages, though. I mean, it Did was Did it have stuff like detailed, how much ice cream you do you in. eat in a year? It had some random stuff in it. Yeah. But this has been probably 10 years ago. It's I'm been a long time I'm pretty sure ago. like the ice cream statistic isn't an actual they polled people. They are just like counting how much ice cream sold and then dividing that by the number of people in America and then dividing that by years or days or whatever. That's where I think that stat came from. That sounded like some math. It did. I can't actually do that math, but it sounded like math. Didn't what it? if that statistic came from this? They pick uh, places where you can buy ice cream. Yeah. And they are correlating credit card numbers mm, with yeah. the purchase of ice cream and the frequency. That'll so Trini uses this credit card to make general purchases. She bought ice cream X amount of times. And here's the amount of ice cream. And then. They basically extrapolate that data out there to create statistics out of it. I mean, if you want to go really down that rabbit hole, it could just be like a Facebook thing. Like, how many times did you see ice cream and then go buy ice cream mm-hmm. based on your, you know, what do you call that? When the, when Facebook follows you around. <laughs> they definitely do that. I know sure. they do that. <laughs> like how many times was ice cream part of that in your life? Exactly. Siri. <laughs> hey, Siri, where's ice cream at? It <laughs> starts showing up on my social media feed. Bingo. Weird. Baskin Robbins is having a sale. <laughs> JT, we've got a minute or so here left before we get off the show. First, we want to thank you so much for being yes. on the uh, on the podcast with us today. Great farm, ranch, recreational land insight. Tell our listeners out there where they can find you. What's the website? What's the phone number? How can they reach out to you? You bet. So you can go to landloanspecialist.com or you can reach us at the office at 806-698-6884. Once again, landloanspecialist.com or 806-698-6884. But, uh, you know, rates are cheap and uh, capital is easy to come by right now. So it's definitely a great time to look at either refinancing or, or financing a new property or taking an opportunity of these lower interest rates for sure. Perfect. Trina? Yes. It's a great show, JT. Trina and I have known you for a long time. We appreciate your time on this show today. We wish you the best. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time inside the Sail Ring. This episode has ended, but your journey to greatness continues. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now. That's www.thesailring.com.